Hello and welcome to SpinalCast. I'm your host, David Stevens, and joining us today is Helen Marie Dunmore. Helen Marie is a principal scientific advisor for Charles River and has significant experience with regulatory requirements in the non-clinical development of advanced therapy medicinal products. Helen Marie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, of course. Uh, so really, I think the, our hope and our goal for this episode um, is to learn a little bit more about you and how corporations like Charles River um, can make a, you know, a major positive impact on the SCI community and research as a whole. Um, and assuming that's OK with you, I think we'll just jump straight into questions. Yes, absolutely. Please do. Perfect. So. Um, I think a good place to start is just to kind of give our audience a better feel for um, what it is that you do related to spinal cord injury. So um, as a bit of background, um, I'm a regulatory toxicologist. Um, I work in the scientific advisory services team at Charles River Laboratories. Um, They're a global contract research organization. Um, And within this capacity, I advise sponsors of drug trials, what non-clinical research um, and data sets are required to advance their drug candidates into clinical trials Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that they work and they're safe when given to patients um, and then to ultimately get approved, of course, for licensing and uh, onto global markets. Very cool. How how did you end up getting into this line of work in the first place? So I started out, um, I studied an undergraduate degree in pharmaceutical sciences Um, And that led on to a master's degree in applied toxicology in England Mm -hmm. um, at the University of Surrey. Um, And following my undergraduate degree, um, I started out, I guess, a bit by serendipity as a a study director um, in Italy doing preclinical research um, at a company much like Charles River, um, investigating the safety um, of lead drug candidates, Mm. um, weeding out bad actors. Uh, that weren't safe to proceed in clinical trials. Um, And then after that, I moved into the pharma industry, working at uh, various large farmers, also, again, within drug safety evaluation. Okay. Um, And eventually, I moved into the regulatory arena, um, where I reviewed all the dossiers that were submitted to regulatory agencies. So looking at, you know, clinical trial approvals, Um, marketing applications equivalent to sort of the NDA process in in the United States. Yeah. Um, And then after that, I kind of decided that I really wanted to solve the problems that regulators were sort of asking. Um, And so I got back into sort of this line of work um, where I started in a contract research organization um, at Charles River, really wanting to help drug developers streamline their research um, to get these products to patients who need them um, quicker. Awesome. So uh, I, I think that kind of ties nicely into the next question, which is really around how, how does Charles River support the spinal cord injury research specifically? Um, so specifically in the field of um, SCI research, um, Charles River provides preclinical testing services uh, for potential therapies. Uh, we work with pharmaceutical companies biotech companies, academics, for example, to develop and test new drugs. Um, We have a specialized division that's focused on neuroscience research. Mm -hmm. That includes spinal cord injury research. Um, We have a dedicated in vivo surgical laboratory for disease modeling and administration of therapies. Um, Our spinal cord injury 
model platform includes years of uh, expertise in um, spinal cord injury model surgery. Um, and one of the biggest challenges, I guess, with developing these types of therapies to treat CNS disorders is really the delivery of, you know, systemically administered drugs to the brain. Right. Um, and that's limited by the blood-brain barrier, of course. Um, so Charles River has developed this expertise um, in administering methods directly to the central nervous system. So, so when you say blood-brain barrier, um, can you kind of provide me a little more detail on that? I guess I personally don't have a, a, a clear understanding of what kind of barrier that is. So it's it's a barrier um, in the brain and it limits uh, certain unwanted substances um, harmfully getting to the brain and affecting the brain. Okay. Um, so for these types of indications, for them to have a therapeutic effect, we really often want um, the drugs to, to permeate that barrier um, and protection layer basically of the brain so that so the, the human body naturally has this barrier that is keeping unwanted things out of your brain exactly um per se and uh for therapies to take effect they need to actually penetrate that barrier and reach the brain is kind of if, what you're getting at for this type of indication yes yes if okay you want um an effect on the the cns yes you know based on based on the work that you've done thus far with charles river um what are some of your opinions on how we could improve therapies for the spinal cord injury community or sci as a whole i think sort of stem cell therapies uh, that are being developed more and more advanced therapies and tissue engineering for example um researchers are exploring the use of, of these types of therapies to regenerate damaged tissue and neural pathways in the spinal cord. Um, so I think we need to make a use of newer technologies being developed to target specific cells that could regenerate the spinal cord after injury. Um, we need to really take advantage of um, the advancement in robotics and exoskeleton technology. Mm -hmm. Um, that allows for more extensive mobility and, and functionality for individuals with these types of injuries. We can look at more personalized medicinal approaches. Charles River is, is heavily involved in, in this arena. Um, we use genetic testing and precision medicine. So that in itself can help identify optimal treatment approaches um, for each individual with spinal cord injury. And then again, of course, always the um, we need more research and funding really um, to help accelerate the discovery of new and improved therapies for spinal cord injuries. Um, I think several organizations, um, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, mm -hmm. um, they are very focused on, on advancing spinal cord injury research um, and promoting the development of new treatments. Absolutely. And I, I think I, I heard you kind of key in on the idea of providing personalized therapy. Um, I think something we hear quite commonly is um, no two injuries are the same um, and they all kind of have their own um, difficulties that come along with them. And so how do you think, um, what's the, I guess what's, what's the path forward to be, be able to provide therapies that are specific to an individual or, um, or are you more focused on providing therapies to, you know, a C3, C4 injury, or is it on a case by case basis? Um, 
which which do you think is is the line forward for science? Well, as you said, I think developing personalized therapeutics where Charles River is really at the forefront here, and these types of approaches for um, spinal cord injury patients, um, you know, is is certainly um, a key to the way forward. Um, by understanding the individual's um, injury, their functional status, their medical history. Um, so really, we need to be identifying biomarkers that for them that can predict recovery and response to different therapies. Um, I think that's essential to develop personalized treatment plans. Um, biomarkers can really provide information about the disease pathogenesis, help predict which patients are more likely to respond uh, to specific therapies. Um, there's also a thing about combination therapy. Um, these target different mechanisms of injury. Mm. Um, depending on the patients, and they can be used to increase the likelihood of recovery and functional improvement. Okay. And yeah, genomic profiling is another um, option for personalized medicine, um, and this can be used to identify genetic variations um, and understand how they impact the response to different therapies. So before personalized therapies can be developed, um, more research is really needed, I think, to better understand the complex interactions between genetics and, and spinal cord injury. Um, well, that was going to be kind of my, my next question is when I'm, as I'm thinking through this, you know, I think personalized therapy is key to getting everybody to have the greatest result from whatever treatment or therapies that they're receiving. But I can only imagine there is a ton of work involved in all of the research and the understanding of an individual um, case that it might take a long time to um, actually enact those those therapies for the patient. But I think what I'm understanding is from from what you're saying is um, what Charles River and yourself are really focused on is getting enough information and data from further research in slightly broader categories so that when an individual case does come in, we can basically tap into um, this knowledge base that we've created from all this other further research to take parts and pieces and kind of apply it to an individual case and actually provide them an individual therapy quicker. Um, is that kind of a, a, a correct synopsis kind of of the approach? Uh, yes, yes. I think that that is um, basically how, how it operates um, and, and how, you know, everybody is trying to collaborate and, and work together to find um, the most optimal solutions for these patients. Well, and then I think the other thing you mentioned earlier, if it wasn't on this, it might have been on our introductory phone call. Um, but Charles River also does a lot with... Um, animal uh, models, correct, uh, in, in running scientific tests and, and um, trials. Uh, so what are some of the ways that you think um, those can be improved? Um, yes, we always look to develop um, and advance our, our models and make sure that they're more accurate and predictive um, models for spinal cord injury. Um, I think there are several factors, <clears throat> excuse me, and we need to be choosing the right animal models. So typically animals that closely mimic human spinal cord injury. Mm -hmm. um, and those, of course, are crucial to predicting the effectiveness of the therapies and, and translation into the clinic. 
Rodents, for example, are commonly used, but so are larger animals, and sometimes they can provide a more accurate model. Um, we also need to sort of standardize our injury models. Um, that's really essential to ensure that the results obtained um, in different studies are comparable, of course, in different laboratories doing these types of tests. The injury, absolutely. The injury severity, location, method of induction—you know—all of that. Uh, the methodology needs to be standard, standardized to allow for more effective comparisons. Um, and then assessing functional recovery, um, we need to measure this, and um, that involves a range of techniques. Um, I won't go and elaborate on all of those, but really to predict the effectiveness um, of the therapies accurately, those assessment methods, whether it's behavioral testing, for example, those again need to be standardized and their validity mm -hmm. verified. Um, and then I think the final thing is really that this type of injury is a really complex injury. So um, that involves, you know, a range of factors like inflammation or cell death. Um, we've mentioned blood-brain barriers. Sometimes that can be disrupted. Mm -hmm. um, so the animal models really need to take into account all of these complexities, um, you know, and give researchers really a better understanding then of the pathophysiology of the uh, spinal cord injury itself. So, right. So I think that's that's really important to take into account. The models are, you know, replicating all of these uh, complexities. Right. And it, it sounds like almost everything that we've talked about today, there just there needs to be groundwork laid for any of this to really um, not only take effect, but be valuable um, to the scientific community and in the end, um, the patients as well. And so um, it sounds like you have your work cut out for you, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, you know, um, a lot of we work with a lot of partners in, in this area. So, um you know, um, people can feel free to reach out to us, whether that's the scientific advice services that I work in, but also our, you know, laboratories, neuro uh, labs directly. Um, you know, we can help them to to put an adequate drug development plan into place so that these, you know, more and more options can be um, accessed to patients, either through clinical trials or, of course, ultimately through approval. So kind of getting to that approval point in the process, is that... I guess, what is the next stage? Once once you've completed an animal model, you have your findings, um, and then what? how do you move that forward into actually providing um, some sort of solution? And maybe it's not necessarily you that's providing the, the treatment or, or um, therapy, but what, what is kind of that next step? So here um, in the UK, for example, the MHRA, so that stands for the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Agency. Um, and as the name implies, you know, the next step is really um, that you submit a dossier to um, an agency like this, whether it be sovereign like the MHRA or the FDA. Um, the regulatory body is then responsible for ensuring that the medicine or medical devices, for example, are safe and effective mm -hmm. in that country or that jurisdiction. If it's Europe, it'll be the European Medicines Agency. Um, and they then, um, you submit a clinical trial authorization application or open an IND in the US. Um, and the agency will make sure that the clinical trials really, um, you know, are conducted in compliance with ethical and scientific standards and that the risk to trial participants, of course, are minimized if they feel that, 
um, you know, the risk and the benefit outweigh each other to go into a first in human clinical trial. I think something that we hear a lot from even just people we've interviewed who are injured themselves, um, but also a lot of people around the SCI community, it's, it's always why is research taking so long um, and how can we make it go faster? Um, and I think just you laying out all these different steps and regulations that need to be approved and passed and pushed along in order for anything to really reach a patient. Um, from your professional um, opinion, what, what are ways that, I don't know if it's, you know, the government and private sectors dividing things up or, you know, what is the best way to help kind of drive research forward quicker? I think ultimately, you know, we need better communication and collaboration mm -hmm. uh, between stakeholders. We saw this happening during the COVID pandemic, Operation Warp Speed in the U.S., researchers, clinicians, pharmaceutical companies, government agencies, but the patients themselves as well through advocacy groups um, really need to, to work together um, a bit better to identify gaps in knowledge, design these experiments, and fill in all of the gaps um, to develop these innovative therapies. Um, and we, you know, research does take time. Um, but sometimes, you know, it's important as well to recognize that, you know, progress in the labs, it doesn't always translate to progress in the clinic. Um, so, you know, people need to remain committed to the scientific process, mm -hmm. um, you know, recognizing the incremental advances and setbacks, you know, that's a normal part of the, of the scientific journey, really. Um, if we share our data and we're more open, um, a lot of governments and, you know, funding agencies are mandating um, that data be openly available, for example. Yeah. Um, and, you know, platforms, people developing new tools and platforms, you know, wider uh, sharing of those types of data and resources can help and save time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are a few ways to, to speed up um, the process as well as things like AI, machine learning, of course, you know, um, machines just have, um, not just in, in drug development, but in all other fields as well, um, you know, data can be analyzed much quicker by these types of tools, which, right. you know, will also make inroads to shortening the, the times to, to approval. Yeah, I do think um, it is pretty incredible, even over the last three years, how much, um, AI and other um, technical tools have been able to um, not alleviate the need for the human eye, but really accelerate a function that is is almost remedial. They can just do it immediately versus taking the time to sit down and kind of plow through it as a as an individual. So um, that's super exciting. So you kind of talked about their, you know during the research you have to share your your progresses and your failures and things like that and so kind of keying in on the whole failure side of of research what are some of the challenges that that you or your team have faced when when uh you know executing some of these these research therapies yeah i think spinal cord uh drug development um injury you know it faces a number of roadblocks and challenges um, some of the key obstacles, I guess, impeding progress that we see, um, I mean, still there's a limited understanding um, of the molecular mechanisms involved 
um, although research, you know, it's given us a basic understanding mm -hmm. of the events that occur after spinal cord injury. There's still so much we don't know um, about the pathways involved and the healing process. Um, so that can make it difficult to develop targeted therapies. Um, the heterogeneity of the injury, you know, you've mentioned every spinal injury um, is unique, um, you know, either in terms of the location or the extent of damage. That can make it difficult to develop comprehensive treatments, you know, uh, a one-stop shop that, you know, treatment for all yeah. um, that works for all patients. Um, the blood-brain barrier I've mentioned, you know, that prevents many substances, even drugs entering the central nervous system. So that's a challenge when we develop drugs for spinal cord injury. They need to penetrate this barrier right. um, to be effective. Um, there's clinical trial endpoints, um, you know, that can be really difficult to ascertain um, when we develop novel therapies. Um, we need to be able to measure whether or not, you know, the candidate drug is having a desired effect. Um, mm -hmm. But for spinal cord injury, you know, accurately determining changes in patient status is is difficult and, and developing clear achievable endpoints for clinical trials, you know, that that really is an ongoing struggle. Um, so, you know, those of us who work in this space, you know, we, we're trying to overcome these challenges. Um, it requires a lot of dedication um, in both basic research and, and clinical trials, but also this collaboration to create these new strategies to overcome these obstacles. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, I've got one final question for you here. Um, and really, it's it's asking what are the most promising points in SCI research that you're seeing right now? Um, and and what are you most excited about that that's that's coming uh, along or are being worked on currently? Um, I think there are a few promising therapeutic targets. Um, you know, therapies that um, work on neuroprotection and neuroregeneration. Um, they protect surviving neurons uh, from further damage promote the growth and regeneration of neurons. Um, pharmacological interventions are promising. You know, there are several drugs at the moment being investigated for their ability to promote tissue repair or mm -hmm. reduce inflammation, um, improve neurological function. Um, I work heavily in the advanced therapy and medicinal product area, so cell and gene therapies. And um, personally, that that is where I'm very excited about uh, these types of regenerative medicine um, the use of stem cells or other uh, cell-based therapies really can help regenerate damaged tissues. They've seen uh, some good responses in clinical trials, um, and they promote functional recovery. Mm -hmm. For the gene therapy, you know, those types of approaches can be used to modify specific genes that are involved in repair and regeneration of spinal cord tissue. And I think both of these fields are, are very exciting and, and hold a lot of promise for, for these patients. Fantastic. Well, I I don't personally think, I think we got through all the questions I had here. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you again for being willing to join us on today's podcast. It was uh, certainly interesting and eye-opening, I think, for us. And I'm hoping our viewers at home um, or listeners uh, just to kind of get a different insight into um, part of, I, I think when, when people think about spinal cord injury research and research in general for um i guess medicinal products and therapies it 
it's kind of this entity that we don't fully understand. Um, and there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of individuals involved um, and a lot of organizations involved. And so I think it's very um, interesting to get to speak with someone like yourself who is one of those entities and able to kind of give a unique perspective on on where things are going and, and what we can be excited about. And the fact that progress is being made and people are dedicating their lives and careers um, to providing beneficial therapies for people with spinal cord injury. So I thank you for your work um, and thank you again for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, everybody at home, if you're watching or uh, listening on a podcast platform, please think about giving us a subscription or a follow. Um, we'll make sure uh, to, to leave some uh details about Helen Marie Dunmore in the description so you can learn a little bit more about her um, and Charles River. Um, but I think that's all we got. So uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Helen. Thank you. Take care. You too.